burdens. Because you see, friends, we live in a world where there's a lot of burdens, there's a lot of headaches, there's a lot of hardships that are happening in our culture today. And I believe God wants to exchange those things in our lives for His blessings. And one of those things that God wants us to do is He wants us to give Him our fears. Everyone say fears. God wants us to give us, give him our fears in exchange for his joy. I remember growing up as a kid, we used to sing this song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you remember that song? You know, and you would laugh and, you know, the, you know if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack and all this other stuff. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. But did you know that the phrase, be not afraid, fear not, and have no fear is written in the Bible 365 times? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting because it's as if God wants to remind us that in a a 365-day year calendar, be not afraid. But the reality is that we all have fears. We're all, we all have fears in this room, or if you're watching online, we have fears of what's happening to our country. We have fears of the future of Christianity and the Church of America. We have fears of what our kids are being indoctrinated at schools or our grandchildren. Um, we have fears of the future. We have fears of how you're going to make it financially. We have fears of persecution for our faith. People have fears of not finding a job or a mate, or maybe this one, the fear of being seen at Walmart in your pajamas. No, I'm kidding. You know? As a matter of fact, did you know that there's over 400 recognized phobias out there? But in life, there's, there's three basic fears that people have, if you were to really bring it down to a capsule of what we're dealing with in our culture, and that is people deal with the fear of failure. People have, they, they deal with the fear of abandonment. And third, the fear of death. Those are the three basic fears that people deal with in this thing called life. Now, one of the weirdest fears is called a bluthophobia. A blutophobia, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but it's the persistent, abnormal, unwarranted fear of bathing, washing, or cleaning. And some of you parents are thinking, that's what my junior hire has, you know. He can't clean his room. He can't clean his body or whatever it may be, you know, or your grandchild or whatever. Now, as we head into this Christmas season, there's four characters that I want us to focus on that were visited by an angel, and they were told several things along the way. Now, please note if, you're seeing, if you see a reoccurring pattern here on what the angel is saying to each of them as I read them to you. The first person we're going to look at is Joseph. Now, of course, Joseph, when he found out Mary was pregnant, he wasn't the father, of course. And we read in Matthew 1.20, it says this, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then we look at old Zechariah. Zechariah heard that he was going to be a daddy in his old age. And in Luke 1.13, it says this, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Look at what happened when Mary, as she was greeted, as she, as she was greatly troubled when hearing an, what an angel said to her and greeted her with regarding conceiving a baby as a virgin. It says in Luke 1.30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And look at the angel that said to the shepherds when they announced, when they encountered the angel in the fields that night, it says this in Luke 2.10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, the Jewish people were all living in fear at that time. And let me tell you why. Because they were waiting for deliverance from the Roman Empire. The Jews and the Romans did not get along at that time very well. But not only that, they were waiting for the promised Messiah to come. And they're literally being silenced for a long, 
long time, like 400 years along the ways. But what did these four people have all in common besides being visited by the angel? Do you know what it is? Did you, did you see the common denominator that was shared in those passages of the scriptures I read? It was basically four words. Don't, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think God is trying to speak to many of us today because a lot of people are living in fear. Now, as a parent, or if you've been a parent, or you've been a grandparent, or you've been a teacher, or whatever it may be, or you're, an, or you're a boss of, of a place where you work, have you ever noticed as a parent that when we tell our kids that we want them to do something, that sometimes they think it's a suggestion more than a command? Have you ever noticed that, that, that you just like you ask them to take the trash out or you ask them to do certain things and they think it's a suggestion like, oh, I have to make my bed, you know, no. What you're trying to do is give them a command and there's a big difference between a suggestion and a command. There's a huge difference. And God today, like he did with Joseph, like he did with Zechariah, like he did with Mary and like with the shepherds, he's giving us a command. Do you know what that command is this morning? The command is do not be afraid. So my desire this morning is, and basically on the back of your bulletin, we now have all the, the fill in the blanks for the message and stuff like that, that normally we would just have these blank lines. And so hopefully you received one of those or not, you can get one of those sermon notes. But today, here's what I want to do. And this is why I think it's important that you take notes on this message, because you may not be dealing with fear, but you may know someone that's dealing with fear, or you may come across someone that's dealing with fear. And so here's what I want to do. I want to teach you what fear causes most people to do. Number two, I wanted you to discern if you're being controlled by the spirit of fear or if you know someone that's being controlled by the spirit of fear. And the third thing is how to overcome fear by exchanging it for the joy of the Lord. So that's, that's where we're going this morning. That's the, the blueprint of what I want to give you today. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, I don't know how you are. I don't know how you react or, re or you respond when, when fear comes towards you or when you're dealing with a situation where fear is, is, is a snare in your life. But let me tell you, when I, when I fear, you know what happens with this, this, this guy right here? I feel trapped. I feel trapped. I'm not secure. I'm, I'm worried. I'm filled with anxiety. I lack peace. It's like there's a snare preventing me from going forward in my faith because of this word called fear. And I don't know what it is for you. But the Bible says that it's a snare. But when I choose to trust in God, when I choose to trust in the Lord, do you know how I feel? I feel secure. I feel, I feel, I feel, I'm filled with his peace that surpasses all of my human understanding to guard my heart and my mind. I don't worry. You know why? Because I know I'm safe in the arms of Jesus. Because when I trust in the Lord rather than in man, rather than in myself or my abilities, I feel totally safe in the arms of God. So my question to you today is, do you feel safe because you're trusting in God or are you living in a snare of fear regarding something in your life? Here's a couple of things fear will cause you to do if you want to write this down. Fear will cause you to focus more on the opinions and the approval of others more than on God's word and God's truth. That's one of the things it'll do. When you think about what Moses' mother did when Pharaoh made this decree in the land, she didn't comply. Daniel didn't give in to the king's decree when it was called for to, to do certain things. Elijah at the Battle of Mount Carmel faced 450 to 1 when it came to the challenge against their God and his God. 
David faced an insurmountable obstacle against Goliath. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down as soon as they heard the, the bass and the treble and the, and the music being played. They were all supposed to bow down. But all these people didn't compromise. But what helped them to overcome the fears that, were, that they probably no doubt dealt with when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to the fiery furnace? They all focused more on God's word. They, 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 they focused more on who God was in their lives than the opinion or the approval of what others were thinking of them at that time. You see, in the postmodern era that we're living in, in this antichrist culture, people can become so obsessed with what others think about them because, to be honest, we want people to like us. We want people to appreciate us. We want people to respect us and all those, those sorts of things. But even Paul chose not to compromise the gospel by giving people what they wanted, as some alluded that he was doing, which wasn't true. Because he said in Galatians 1.10, For now do I, persuade, do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, he realized that what was more important was not the approval or the opinions of others, but more it was on what God's word said about him and God's truth of what he was going to do in his life and through his life that helped him in that situation. Number two is this. Fear causes you to refuse something new. Fear causes you to refuse something new because we're more concerned about what we've got rather than what God may be trying to give you. Let me say that again. Fear causes us to refuse something new because we're concerned about what we've got rather than what God may be trying to give us. Now, we all remember the, 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 the housing crash in 2008 or I think it was 2008 or 2006, and at that time, I was living in Lancaster, California. Well, I wasn't living. I was actually living in Bakersfield. I was commuting to Lancaster and uh, was the executive pastor there at this church, and we had to make some tough, tough decisions as a board and uh, with the pastor and stuff like that. We had to shave our budget probably about eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 because people couldn't give like they used to. You know, the market crashed. It was just, it was a bad, bad time. So me being a commuter, I ended up becoming the interim youth pastor I became the interim youth uh, intern director. I was the executive pastor. I was overseeing this church. I was overseeing the staff. I was overseeing the preschool and working with the director. And also my wife and I were doing a marriage ministry class. We were also doing, and I was doing a men's ministry class and so forth at that time. And we had our foster son that we had just adopted and so forth. And, you know, our desire was to have another, you know, foster child that we would eventually be able to adopt. And in the midst of all this busyness, and complexity of commuting and all this stuff that I was dealing with and that we were dealing with as a family, my wife calls me and says, there's a, there's a, there's a baby that is, is a, a, a wanting to be fostered that's probably going to be adoptable. And it was a miracle that I answered the phone. And I talked to her on the phone. I said, hon, well, it's snowing and I, I can't, I've got the men's group tonight. I can't, I don't, I can't get a baby. She goes, no, no, I'll go and get the baby. And, and, I, and me and the girls were getting, I said, well, what if you get stuck? You know, they close the 58 from the 14, and then how, you know, I'll, I'm just thinking about all these things. I'm, I'm almost thinking to myself, why would we want to take on a baby in the midst of everything else that I'm going through and that I'm dealing with? But I felt like the Lord was giving us this child. I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to take this on. And, and Therese was like, hon, we got to make a decision because they, they want to know if we want this baby or not. And I said, you know, well, let's, we hadn't seen a picture. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't know if it was special needs. We didn't know anything. We just said, you know what? Okay. We prayed and said, okay, call them and 
take the baby, and so forth. And, and it was one of those things that I thought to myself, you know what, what if I would have just been more concerned about what I had rather than what God was trying to give us? What if I was so focused on, well, I've got to deal with this, I've got to deal with that, I've got to deal with this. We can't take on on top of that a baby. But you see, fear does that. Fear causes you to refuse something new because you're more concerned about what you've got rather than what God may be trying to give you. And for some of you in this morning, maybe God is trying to do something in your life. Maybe God's trying to alter something in your life. Maybe God wants to give you something, but no, 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 no. You don't want it because you're more concerned about what you've got than what he may be trying to give you. You see, fear is a pervasive emotion in the world around us. It's a pervasive emotion in the world around us to fear. And you know what? I've noticed that when people are afraid, they have a hard time waiting. They don't like to wait. They're uncomfortable when it comes to waiting because they think that the worst is going to happen in the situation that they're dealing with. People who are fearful are more likely to be aggressive. People that are fearful are more likely to be hostile and destructive in their responses than people who aren't living in fear. And maybe you might be like, you know what, Pastor? I've, I've seen that. I've seen that with people that live in fear towards me. They've been aggressive. They've been hostile. They've been destructive. Or I've, I've been like that sometime in my life or whatever it may be. Listen to me this morning. When God said, do not be afraid, it doesn't mean we cannot be afraid. Sometimes fear is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a, it protects you. Instead, the word means you don't have to live in a place of fear. That's what God is trying to say. It doesn't, it doesn't need to define you. Fear shouldn't define you. Fear shouldn't direct you either. Because that's what happens a lot of times. I, I could have been thinking about, well, God, we got to deal with this, 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 and this. And I'm trying to do this and this and this. And, you know, to take on a baby and to, you know, like I'm working here. Teresa's over home alone with the kids. And, you know, I'm commuting. I, I'm doing all these. I mean, it could have directed me to say, no, we, we shouldn't take this baby. But I'm so thankful that we took Mark. And that Mark is our son. And that God gave us Mark. Amen? Yes, I think we should give God praise for that. And our son Luke. And all sorts of things that God did. You see, the third thing is this. Fear causes people to stay comfortable rather than be conformed to his image. The image of God or doing his, his will. Fear will cause you to be comfortable rather than being conformed to the image of God and doing his will. Why do I say that? Because in Matthew 28, 5 through 6, it's not on the screen, but in Matthew 28, 5 through 6, the angel told the woman, do not be afraid. And this is, of course, more of an Easter kind of a thing. Do not be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. In the time leading to his death, of course, we all know, Jesus told his followers multiple times that he would rise on the third day. Now, the disciples fear, they, they were living in fear, and they literally became comfortable, and it caused them to stay hidden instead of walking to the tomb with these women because they were like, yeah, he may have said all these things, but it's not going to happen. But Jesus had prepared them for this moment, and yet their fear caused them to become comfortable. Their fear caused the disciples to forget his words. And the reality is God's promise, God promises to you and I can, can, can easily be forgotten when we allow complacency to cloud our minds or to cloud his words to us. Challenges of life can cause people to be comfortable and to forget the truth that God has spoken over your life, over your children, over your grandchildren, or whatever it may be. Being conformed to the image of God and doing his will is always going to be tested. Listen to me this morning. When you choose to become more like him and transformed in the renewing of your mind, the enemy's not going to just sit back and say, well, I lost that person. 
No, he's going to go after you. He's going to go after me. He's going to go after this church. He's going to go after those that want to be conformed to the image of God and doing his will. And what will happen is you're always going to be tested when circumstances come. And when circumstances come, you'll be filled with fear, but you cannot allow that to overtake you. And that, that's what happened with these women. They didn't allow the, the words and, and the comfortability and the, the hiding themselves from this thing. They, they said, Jesus said on the third day he would rise. So these women went, and, and when they discovered what they saw and what I just read, they told the disciples what they discovered, and they didn't become comfortable because of fear, but rather they were conformed to do his will, and they told others what they had discovered. They told others what they had discovered. And church, when we focus on being conformed and transformed by God and not become comfortable, we can do amazing things for God like these women did. Why? Because they stepped out in obedience to what God called them to do. They weren't comfortable. They were conforming to his will and to his way. And we need to remember that when we choose to abandon being comfortable, God is going to fight whatever battle is ahead of you. When you choose to become conformed to the image of God, when you choose to conform to his will and to do what he calls you to do, he's going to fight your battles. How many of you guys have seen God fight a battle for you that on your own, if you would have tried to do it, it would have been a mess, but through God, it was a miracle. Somebody raise your hand and say, I know what you're talking about, pastor, this morning. That's what happens when you choose to conform rather than become comfortable in that moment. That is why we have to choose conformity in him over comfortability. And the fourth thing is this, fear causes people to want to control things and take matters in their own hands rather than trusting in the Lord. Fear causes people to want to control things and take matters in their own hands rather than trust in the Lord. You see, we need to remember what the word fear means. That I think sometimes we forget. Read 1 John 4:18. The Bible says that fear has torment. It has torment. And here's one thing I've noticed in life about anyone who wants to be in control. The reason they want to be in control is because they are afraid of the outcome, especially when things aren't going the way they think they should be going based on what they want to see happen or what they see happening. I know I've experienced that. I know you've experienced that. I know we've all experienced that because we want the power. We want to be in control. We want things to come out the way we think they should be and not the way that they may be going. You see, our society has embraced what the serpent told Adam and Eve as they ate of the fruit. Do you, do you remember what he said? When you eat of this fruit, you will be what? You're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. Meaning, meaning that, that people want to be on the throne that belongs to God. They want to do his job. They want God to serve them by giving them what they want and what they think is best for themselves. And that's not just happening outside the four walls of this church. It's happening in every church in America. It's happening in Christianity today. It's happening all over our culture. Why? Because let me tell you something. Today, humanity gets upset. They get irritated. They get resentful with God when he has not made their lives the way that they want it to be. Have you ever had that happen to you? God, I'm giving, I'm tithing, I'm, I'm, I'm growing to the Bible study, I'm doing this and this. Why, why did I lose my job? Why are my kids rebellious? Why is this happening? I thought that when I, I served you and loved you and dived in your word and hid your word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you, that things would get better. And then we try to play God. We try to do things that we have no business doing instead of trusting God. You see, what is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6? I know that you've heard it. 
But I think we forget about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings and in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll leave you hanging by the side of the road and wish you the best of luck. No. And he will direct your path. Somebody give the Lord praise this morning. Somebody give God praise in this place. You see, don't take matters in your own hands, but rather trust God through the process because the Bible says that his ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of, a sound, and of self-discipline. You see, Paul knew Timothy struggled. He struggled with a timid personality. He needed encouragement along the way because he was, he, he was a timid person. And, and Paul knew that if he encouraged him that he would be bold for the gospel. And Paul was trying to exhort Timothy to not let the spirit of fear stop him from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's one thing I've noticed about fear. Fear will cause you to shrink back. It'll cause you to shrink back in the, fear, in the face of opposition. It'll cause you to shrink back in the, in, the fear, in the face of struggles and hardships instead of going forward. So how do you know if, so those are some of the things that fear causes us, but the second thing I want us to focus is how do you know if you're being controlled by a spirit of fear? I want to give you a couple of antidotes today, and we're going to discuss four possible ways. Now, in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, talking about the serpent and and the the, uh, apple and the whole thing that took place after that, it says this, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and, and themselves waist coverings. Maybe that's where he got the fruit of the looms. I don't know, you know. Um, now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I want you to underline that if you can or write down. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Have you ever thought, why did Adam and Eve want to play a, a kid's game with God called hiding and seek? Because when they ate from the fruit of the tree, God forbid them to eat from that moment. Fear entered the world. Sin entered the world. Bondage entered the world. And the spirit of fear may be controlling you, if you want to write this down, if you're always living in a state of bondage. If you're living in a state of bondage today, there could be a possibility that there's a spirit of fear that's controlling your, your mind or your thoughts. You see, instead of Adam and Eve running to God, which we would look at and say, hey, he's, he's a good God, he's a merciful God, he's a holy God, he's a loving God, he's a graceful God, just run to him with your problems. No, what does he do? What do they do? They run away from him. They tried to hide from him because they feared his response to their sin and became imprisoned because of their fears. They became imprisoned in that moment of their life. You see, when fear takes over people, most of the time, they would rather hide from everyone, especially God. But God wants to set us free as we shift our eyes, not on the problem, but on the promise of the Messiah. That's what I love about Christmas. That's what I love about when I look at setting up the manger scene in our home and all that stuff. Love came down to show us the way, for he was the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes we focus more on the problem than the promise of the Messiah who came to Bethlehem. And he wants to help us move from the shadows of fear to the light of his freedom. So how do we overcome our fears? We have to honor Jesus as our Lord. Because let me tell you something, friends. When you're secure in Jesus, 
This is what you experience. You experience a quiet resolve. Not a cocky resolve, but a quiet resolve because in your spirit you know that God is in control. That God, because he's your Lord and he's your Savior, you have a confidence that God is in control and he's going to see you through. Secondly, the spirit of fear may be controlling you when you focus more on the obstacles than on the opportunity. You focus more on the obstacles and on the opportunity. Well, pastor, where, where are you coming up with that? Go to Numbers 13. Read 14 and so forth. Let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on in this situation. Moses was about to get to the promised land, and so he sent some spies to see what was out there and to come back with a report. And in Numbers 13, 26 to 30, it's not on the screen, but it says this in Numbers 13, 26 to 30. These 10 spies came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit. They showed them the fruit of the land. In verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit, but... There's always a but. But the people, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live there near the sea and along the Jordan. Um, but then Caleb comes up. Caleb comes up in Numbers 13, 33, and this is what it says. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly do the opportunity. Verse 31, but the men who had, here's another but. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. And, and we, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. You see, Caleb and Joshua focused on an opportunity. Ten spies that we don't even know the names of who they are in the Bible focused more on the obstacles. You see, our world has never felt less peace-filled in the days that we're living in. But it seems like we're more fear-filled in the days that we're living in. But God wants to remind us that he is sovereign over everything. Everyone say everything. God is sovereign over everything. Amen. Yes, give him praise. He's sovereign over everything. Over every circumstance that you're dealing with. Because he is going to work through all that has happened in your past. He's going to work through anything that is going to happen in your future. Because he has a great purpose for your life. Because he brought you into being. I've met people and I've talked to people that said, Pastor, I shouldn't even be alive. Have you ever heard that? Or maybe you've said that? Or maybe you've experienced that? I shouldn't even be alive. Think about that statement just for a moment, but you're still alive. What does that mean that God is in control? He is the author and the perfecter of your faith and your life. You see, when you know who's on the throne... And it's not you but God. You don't look at the bigness of your circumstance, but rather you look at the greatness of our God. Amen? And that's what God wants us to do. Third, the spirit of fear may be controlling you when you choose to live in doubt more than believe by faith. 
Doubt. How many of you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? We've all heard of Doubting Thomas. We've, we've all experienced doubt. There's no way. It's 28 to 3. This Super Bowl's over. Atlanta, get them the size ring. They're going to win it all. There's no way. Let's enjoy the halftime show, and then let's just go out and play football. Doubt. Doubt. Isaiah 8, 12 says this. You are not to say it's a conspiracy regarding everything that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. See, God is reminding us today that we should not fear what the world fears. What does the world fear? I mean, a lot of things that we fear. What does fear do? Fear has torment. Now, people in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15 that we're going to read later on in the message, we're dealing with persecution from Nero as Christians. You think we have it bad. You think that we're dealing with religious liberty and freedom being stripped away and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's another thing when you're walking down a, a hallway path and you're seeing people lit on fire because of their faith. They're, they're the torches for the night. Think about that. Talk about persecution. But those first century Christians didn't focus on, they weren't afraid. Think about it. They're walking the areas where the people that are on both sides lit up are their, are, are their believers. But they were filled with hope and they were filled with faith. You see, the early Christians were filled with faith, living in a culture of fear and doubt. And that's what should be the difference between you and I in this room. When we walk through the culture of our jobs, when we walk through the culture of our communities and our neighborhoods and our, and our restaurants and our grocery stores, we're living in a time where people are filled with doubt. But that is where the church of the living Christ should be standing up and be filled with hope and with, with joy unspeakable and full of his glory. Now, why are there so many Christians living in fear? Have you ever thought about that? Because many times, including in our culture, people assume themselves the right to do things that belong for God to do. Listen to me this morning. Today, our society and lawmakers want to, make, want to determine the beginning of life. Listen to me this morning. Which children should come to birth and which children should not see the light of day? They want to make, a gender, they want to make, a gen, they want to make gender a matter of personal choice. They want to define what marriage is and who it is for. And with the same frame of mind, they want, to, they want the right to determine the time and the circumstances of someone's own death. They want to be in control. People are putting themselves in the place of God, and they have no business in doing that. I'm shucking it to the cob. I'm laying it all on the line this morning, friends. They want to remove him from the throne and they want to occupy the place of supreme authority over all things and that is why fear exists in our world today because of humanity's sinful, selfish nature. I have the right to say what I am. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a child for a long time. They, the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah to let him know the, that Elizabeth would be having a son. And look, at it, and look at what his doubt caused him to experience. In Luke 1, 18 through 20, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in the proper time. See, the visit from an angel of God was not convincing enough for Zechariah. He said in Luke 1.18, how can this be? And the fear of the unknown and doubt caused Zechariah to be stricken mute for the entire duration of his pregnancy. And some of you are like, man, I wish my husband would be mute for nine months. Amen. No, I'm kidding. You know, nine months. You see, your fear can create doubt, making you believe your circumstance will never change. That God is not sovereign, that he's not all-knowing, that he's not in full control. Fear causes you to doubt God's word and what it says in the Bible. Doubt hinders you from believing God and what he says and who he says he is. And if you find that fear is causing you to doubt, that's when you need to cry out to God and say, God, give me faith. Give me faith. But God wants to exchange our fears for his joy. He wants us to exchange our fears for his joy. Psalms 1611 says, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want to remind you three things. Joy is way more than being happy. Joy is way more than being happy. There is no doubt that fear can rob us of living in a state of the joy of the Lord. Fear reminds us that nothing will change, that all is hopeless. But joy in the Lord is our strength. Joy in the Lord is what makes us glad no matter what we deal with or what happens. You see, fear reminds us conflict is here to stay. Get used to it. Just get used to it. It's going to stay. But Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Glory to God. You see, in 1 Peter, Paul was writing to the believers who were living in that shadow of Nero's horrible persecution of first century Christians, and they hadn't experienced yet, but they knew that it was coming their way. And so in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15, he says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You see, friends, sometimes we ask this question when fear comes our way. What will I do if this happens? Or we ask these kind of questions. What will I do if that happens? If this happens? How will I do this? How will I do that? How, I, I mean, growing up in my family, I saw my dad go through so many things and my mom go through so many things, but yet despite all of those situations and circumstances that to me seemed overwhelming as a kid, must have been even more overwhelming as an adult having to pay bills and you know, all these things that you had to, I remember my dad would be faithful in writing out the tithe. Every time, and I said, Dad, why are you doing that? Things are getting worse than getting good for us. But he looked at me and said, son, it pays to tithe. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God saw us through. He saw us through miraculously. You cannot give God. Joy is way more than being happy, friends. Secondly, joy is a gift from God. Did you know that, that joy is a gift from God? You know, when, being an older person now, 52 years of age, you know, when I, when I, one of the things I love to do is I love to give gifts to people. I love to just give. I love to just bless people. 
It's a joy. But of course, when you're younger, you want, you want to receive the gifts. You're like, what'd you get me for Christmas? What'd you get me for my birthday? You know, all those kind of things when we're younger. Joy is a gift from God. But just like God can give you a gift, we can put it on the shelf and forget about it. We can exchange it for fears instead of joy. Joy is a gift from God. And we forget about that a lot of the times. Luke 1.14 says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Luke 2.10, which we've all heard, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great, what? Joy to all people. We have to remember that everything that we have belongs to God. And everything that we have is on loan to us for a time. That is why we have to cherish the gift of joy today and forevermore. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in Philippians 4.4. We need to remember this morning that joy is a gift from God. And let me ask you something. What are you doing with that gift? Have you forgot to open it? Have you, got, have you forgot to enjoy it? Have you forgotten the things that it's all about because you don't, you're focusing more on this than that? It's a gift. Receive that gift from God. And finally, we must contend and work together to be filled with joy. We have to contend, like fight, literally, and we have to work together to be filled with joy. You have to acknowledge areas of fear in your life. Don't let fear lead you or define you. You need to remind yourself regularly of the promises in Scripture. What does it say in Galatians 5.22? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to have an assurance of the joy and the presence of God in our lives in order to dethrone fear and to impart a deep and abiding sense of joy in our hearts and our lives. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 1.24 says this, but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work, everyone say together, with you so that you will be full of joy. Full of joy. For it's by your own faith that you stand firm. Maybe you see someone or you know someone that seems like joy's lacking in their hearts and their lives. Why don't you allow God to use you to contend, to work together, to encourage them, and to affirm them in the things of God? Every head is bowed. And